Well, I'm excited about the message today. This is one of my favorite short passages because Paul gets a little salty here with the Galatians, and that's when Paul is at his best. But before we get into that, let me, let's think through this for just a moment. Imagine with me for a moment that you are a consultant contracted by companies that are about to go under. So think about this in terms of, I know in the 90s we had the ones like Enron and MCI WorldCom that were just very corrupt, and they brought you in to turn them around. You take on the case of a company that has just declared bankruptcy, but as you begin to review their assets, you discover that they actually have a really good product. They're going bankrupt because the CEO is incompetent and he is corrupt. Their ledger is just a litany of bad decisions, fiscal man mismanagement, corruption, nepotism, discrimination, embezzlement, and just about you know, any other bad practice that you can come up with, that's what you discover is happening at this company. All the CEO wants, however, is you to find a way to get the company back in the black so he can continue on as business as usual. In your report to the board of directors, you should probably say something like this. Listen, your debt is the least of your problems right now. You need to fire the CEO and bring in a new one. Throwing money at the problem won't fix it unless you change the corruption that's happening underneath. Maybe you guys have worked for a company like that in the past that's had that kind of mismanagement. You know, this company needs to not only have its debt removed, it needs a whole new operating procedure. In some cases, they just need an operating procedure to begin with. That's similar to the point that Paul is making to the Galatians here in Galatians chapter 3. Our salvation had to be more than simply having our debt removed. That's a big part of it. Our sin debt before a holy God is more than what we could ever imagine, what Christ did for us and accomplished for us on the cross. But the reason we often struggle in our relationships, at, at, you know, the reason why we struggle to make relationships work, and even after we're Christians, it is because our sin debt had done more than leave us guilty before a holy God. It, it also had left us utterly unable to live the holy life, a, a, a holy Christian life. You have to think about this. For years, sin and the devil had control of your life. Sin corrupting your life. That debt you had before a holy God may have been removed, but all of that learned behavior, all of that sin that had come into your life prior to your debt being removed, it was still there. It's why many of us can't find that elusive peace or satisfaction or happiness we've always yearned for. We need not only to be given a clean record, but we need to be released from sin's power. It's two things. Not only do we need a new clean record, and Christ gives us that clean record with his death upon a cross, but we need to be released from the power of sin. And Paul says that this is also a gift of God accessed only by faith in Christ. And this is one of the many things that so many Christians have yet to grasp. 
you grasp the aspect or the idea of Christ alone when it comes to forgiveness, providing forgiveness for sins, but not so much Christ alone when it comes to providing righteousness and living a righteous and holy life. You believe that salvation is by faith alone, but sanctification is all up to me. That's what we believe. We believe it's up to me to live that good, holy life. It's all in my power to do it. I have to pull up my bootstraps and, and live this holy life all by myself. And the essence of salvation, Paul says, is you in Christ and Christ in you. You in Christ, where you stand in Christ's righteousness, is applied to your account. And Christ in you, where his resurrection becomes power source for your spiritual life. Christ in you is your power source. It's the source that's going to push that sinful behavior that you've learned all of those years out of your life. That's Christ in you. And that's Paul's summation of all of this. We talked on this verse a little bit last week, but it kind of tails, dovetails into this week's passage. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's keep reading here, verse 1 of chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. He's calling them out. He's getting salty. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed and crucified. He's saying, Galatians, you understood the gospel so clearly. It was like Jesus had died right in front of you. Like you were there and saw his wounds and heard him say, it is finished. But now you've gone away from that. You, you've left that. Verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing it in faith? And this is important. This is the first time that Paul's going to mention the Holy Spirit. and He's going to talk about it throughout the rest of the book of Galatians. It's going to become his primary focus. And here is his question. How did you receive the Spirit? How did you receive the Spirit of God? Did it happen because you did something? No. Or because you ate the right things? No. Or because you kept the right you know, rituals? No. It happened. You received the Spirit, Paul is telling the Galatians, because of one thing. You put your faith in the finished work of Christ. And when you did that, you received the Spirit to come and work inside of you. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, are you so foolish to think that you can do it by yourself without the Holy Spirit? Come on now. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if it indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. And so here is the game-changing question. If you initially receive the Spirit by believing, why would you think growth in the Spirit would be achieved any other way? Why do you think that growth in this Christian life would be achieved by any other way than by embracing the Holy Spirit in your life? I believe so many Christians 
they're frustrated in their Christian walk because they think that they can do it by themselves. And they completely negate the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Why would God start our salvation by faith in His provision, but then expect us to grow by grabbing a hold of our bootstraps and making us to become obedient to the law? doesn't make sense. Now, he, he says, the way we grow in the Christian life is the same way we began the Christian life, through faith in the finished work of Christ. Christ in me is how we grow. These words that Christ said upon the cross, it is finished. We really emphasize those around Easter. It is finished are not words that are believed just one time for forgiveness of sins. They're words that we believe over and over and over again for spiritual power to release us from sin's power in our life. The first time we believe these words, we were released from the penalty of sin. As we continue to believe them, we are released from the power of sin in our life. And Paul tells the Galatians that the Holy Spirit is real, the third person of the Godhead, and it's his power that is absolutely essential in the life of the believer. But the Holy Spirit, it's not accessed through some weird mystical ceremonies or enhanced, you know, primarily through some random confluence of circumstances. That's not how we obtain the Holy Spirit. His ongoing power in us is released through a renewed, continual renewed faith in the gospel. That's why when you hear me come, when you come here and you hear me speak every Sunday, you hear me continually preach the gospel message over and over and over again. Not just because you need to hear it, but because I need to hear it. This is preaching to myself as much as it is preaching to you because I need to be released from the power of sin. Just like you need to be released from the power of sin week after week after week. And that only happens through faith in the finished work of Christ. So as we continue to put faith in the finished work of Christ, the power of the Spirit is released in us. Think about it like one of those cell phone batteries. You know, with the new modern day cell phones, you can you just kind of place them on the charger. You don't have to plug them in anymore. That's kind of nice, isn't it? You can just you know, place it there and set it there. Maybe you have one of those phones where it just, it's like this little disc and you set it on there and it just charges. You know, I, I like to, Christians, I like to think about it like that charger. Christians receive spiritual life-changing power when we become very, what's the word I'm looking here for? When we become used to leaning against the cross. Just like that cell phone is laying on that charger, when we lay ourselves upon the cross, it gives us that life-charging power. So I want you to grow spiritually. When you're frustrated at the lack of spiritual fruit in your life, come back to the cross, because at the cross is that message of it is finished. It is finished. And those words not only forgive your debt, your penalty, they release you from sin's power. You believed it is finished once to escape sin's penalty. Now believe it again to escape the power of sin. In other words, in the modern day musical prophet's journey, you would say, don't stop 
believe in. All right. That's the first time I've quoted them in, my, in a message before, but I thought that would get a, break the mood just a little bit there. I thought you guys would like that. So um, hold on to that in it, it is finished feeling that you receive. So in verse 6, Paul compares the salvation process to the experience of Abraham here. Let's not miss this, to what happened. He calls out Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. He quotes Genesis 15, 6, where Scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. In, in Genesis chapter 15, God made a promise to Abraham. What was that promise, students, we talked about this morning? What was the promise that God made to Abraham? Somebody help me out. Go ahead, Evan. What did we learn this morning? He had many children. He would make him a great nation. God made that promise to Abraham. The problem was Abraham was really old. His wife Sarah was really old. They were in their 80s when God made this promise. But he believed, and it says that he was declared righteous. When he believed, his dead, sterile body was given the ability to be able to produce, reproduce. When God made this promise to Abraham, he had no kids. He was in his 80s. I'm sure that someone from the outside looking at it said, Abraham, wake up just a minute. You realize how old you are. You realize how old your wife is, and you have no kids. How is God going to fulfill this promise? But even through God's promise, he defied everything that Abraham felt to be true. He believed God, and when he did, God gave his old, dead, sterile body the ability to reproduce. And a few years later, at the age of 99 and 90, Abraham and his wife Sarah had a son who would father a nation who would bring Jesus into the world and who would provide forgiveness and eternal life for all who believed in his death, burial, and resurrection. And he has a great nation today, the Jewish nation, God fulfilling that promise through Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. And we know that when God makes a covenant, when God makes a promises, God's promises are always true. In the same way, when we believe Jesus' statement from the cross that it is finished, even though when we fail and we feel condemned and spiritually lifeless, God imparts resurrection life into our, our sin-sick, awful spiritual hearts. Paul then asks, what part of this exactly did Abraham accomplish by his own strength? Did Abraham do anything at all to have a child at the age of 99? Was it some technique or new way of positive thinking that infused fertility into Abraham's sterile body? Was it? No. It was all God. All Abraham did was believe what God promised, and he kept believing in fact, Paul points out when God made the promise to Abraham, he hadn't even given Israel the law yet or even initiated the covenant of circumcision. Verse 17, he says, This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Obedience to the law cannot be a condition for obtaining the promise. It wasn't even around yet. 
Rather, the righteousness and spiritual life are given to all who simply believe the promise that Jesus said, it is finished. Some of the most important, if not the most important words in all of Scripture. Bethel family, this is the spiritual power that so many of us are missing day after day, week after week. We need it in our marriages. You need it in your singleness. You need it in your temptations. You need it to draw closer to God. And the only way to get it is to have faith like Abraham. When God promises to give us something, we need to have faith in the promises of God. Why? Because God's promises are always true. It is finished. It's not just the way we obtain forgiveness in the past. It is how we gain the power in the present. Think about that. It is finished are not just words that we hang on to for forgiveness for our past sin. It is also words we hang on to to gain power to work in our spiritual life in the present. The first time you believed it is finished, it released you from the penalty of sin. And as you continue to believe it, it releases you from the power of sin. Which is why when you are struggling in your marriage... You do not need a new marriage technique because the power to change comes from the gospel. It comes alone from the gospel message. It's two people seeking the gospel that will change a marriage. Learning five new steps to being a more thoughtful husband is not nearly as important as embracing the 10 million steps that Jesus took on his way to the cross when he died for you. When you're struggling as a parent and your kid is struggling with sin and you can't make them love the right things, no matter what you say or what you do, where do you turn? Who changes hearts? Who? Who changes hearts? You can't produce righteousness in their hearts through a set of rules, through a set of techniques. You need to turn your hope toward the gospel and pray in faith for that power to be released in their lives, to open their eyes to the the wickedness of their sin and their behavior. When you're struggling with sin and we've fallen time and time and time again, you've got to look at the finished work of Christ and thank Him for that acceptance of you that is no longer based on how well you live the Christian life, but on Christ-finished work and receive the power to get up to get up because we're going to fail why because we're sinners we all sin as you leave this place today you're going to to sin tens and hundreds and thousands of times before you come back into this place next week what are you going to do during those times it's the power of the gospel that gives you the encouragement to get up when you fail. Belief in the gospel in the verse is not demonstrated by never failing, but what you do when you fail. Because we're going to. What you do when you fail. You declare, Christ says, my acceptance is not based on how well I've run, but on your finished work. So when I fall, 
Christ is standing. When I feel weak, Christ in me is strong. When I feel unrighteous, Christ in me is holy. Man, isn't that good? Isn't that good for a hurting soul to know that we have Christ in us? I am accepted in your sight, in the sight of God, because of Christ, as if I have never sinned a single time, because of the finished work of Christ has become my righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness, the hymn writer says. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And when you believe that, you have the power to get up. When you believe that in your life, when life feels like the walls are closing in around you, when you believe that you have Christ in you, you have the power to get up and be released from the power of sin in your life. Isn't that encouraging for us to know that we don't have to do it by ourselves? I know myself and I know I can't. It's only the power of Christ in you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Paul and his bluntness to the church at Galatia. God, the, the people in Galatia, I'm sure, were facing a lot of the same sins and temptations that we were, and they were falling time and time and time again. And Paul gave them, through this reprimand, an encouragement to say, it's not about you, but it's about Christ. It's Christ in you. It's the power of the Spirit that's working because of Christ in you. God, may we take this passage this week and may it be hope for our hurting souls, hope for our struggles. Lord, may it release us from the power of sin in our lives. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.